The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. Welcome to another episode of Create Your Shot. I am Tyler Laurie, and I'm joined as always by my co-host in the city of brotherly love up in Philadelphia, Chris Smalls Angelo. Smalls, how are you on this fine Monday night? I'm good. I'm good. I'm again. You know, you're coming, you're a week off, you're a little more than a week off your marathon run. How are you doing? We had the broad shoot run here on Sunday that I definitely did not do. So I want to know how you're feeling. I'm, I'm feeling good. You know, I haven't really, I've, I've run one time since last week. So for everybody who went on BovadaSportsbook.com and was like, Tyler's just never going to run again, you could get that prop. And you lost already because I have, I did run uh, earlier this week. I did about 30 minutes, you know, just a maintenance run. Smalls, just get out, you know, get loose, get a little stretch in, a little sweat, feel good. And then, uh, you know, I don't know how much more running I'm going to be doing after that. We're, we're going to take a couple. We're going to take some weeks off of, of hitting the pavement probably. Smart move. Smart move. Well. You know, I took a bath this week. We had a lot of stuff going on this weekend. You had the Kentucky Derby. You got the NBA playoffs going on, a little Major League Baseball. I might. So, like, obviously, you know, I have different things that I do and go on. I'm actually becoming a partial owner in Bovada because I've given them so much of my money. They've completely taken a, taken me for a ride. I've lost the Kentucky Derby. I lose baseball. I lose basketball, NBA playoffs. I mean, I'm just giving money away. I said, I said to my buddy the other day, I might as well just throw the money out in the street, but instead I'll just give it to Bovada. So here's, here's what we should do then, Smalls. Instead of worrying about what's going to go on with the Sixers and whether or not Joel Embiid has got the worst diet in the history of professional sports, let's get better at our respective professions today. We have Bruce Hamburger, the associate head coach at Fairleigh Dickinson University, on the show. And a guy with, I I don't know, he might have the most experience of anybody that we've had on the show. He's got 35 years he's been a college assistant or head coach. He's worked at FDU for six years. And a guy that we've gotten to know a little bit, spent some time with him up in Minneapolis. I've, I've spent a bunch of time with him at events and stuff. But, you know, a guy who has a reputation in the New Jersey area as an unbelievable X's and O's guy, but also... Just a really solid, like, hard worker. He knows everybody in the area. And and I had a great time talking to him. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at the definition of a lifer in this industry or in the sports industry, Bruce would fall right under that category. Complete love of the game and love of the process. Um, Not related to the Sixers. I will not bring that up. But he is... Just the definition. He stayed in essentially New Jersey too. His whole his whole career. Two two years he worked for the New York Liberty, and every other year of his career has been a New Jersey institution. Like I, I you know, did he leave the state outside of just traveling to away basketball games? We don't know. We don't know, but he's done, you know, just a fantastic job. And every coach that he's worked for or institution that he's worked, the people around him, if you talk to them as well the utmost respect for what Bruce does. And I think he's one of those guys that you can walk up to, you know, on the recruiting trail or you see him in a high school gym, or maybe you're playing against him and you're on the opposing bench. You can go talk to that guy and you should soak it up. You should listen because he's been there, done that all the way as a head coach, as an assistant coach with different personalities all over the place. I think it's so unique and it's awesome to have someone with such a vast experience. We're talking to these young people who just want to be in a business or want to have a job in this business for 35 years. Bruce is here living it, 
and uh, it's probably going to be in it for 50 years. So that's what I anticipate. I, I enjoyed too. you know, just he was an assistant at Seton Hall at a really young age, gets a job with PJ Carlissimo at 25 years old. And uh, I enjoyed kind of talking to him about what's changed since then, how, how basketball was in the Big East in the late 80s, early 90s, you know, with, with camps, like how, how it was such a big deal working for a guy who was an absolute rising star in the industry. They go to the national title game in 1989, win a couple Big East titles. And then, you know, Bruce goes Division three head coach, Division two assistant, New York Liberty assistant, back to Division two again, Division one assistant, now, you know, associate head coach at FDU. And it's just so interesting what paths your career kind of takes you on smalls because at 25 years old, I don't know, maybe he thought he had made it and he's like, yeah, I'm big East assistant. This is unbelievable. Like it doesn't get any better than this. I'm going to be, you know, coaching at Kentucky in five years. And he, you know, he talks about this, but it's like, you don't know. And, and, and you gotta be, you gotta love it and you gotta be passionate. And, and Bruce is one of those guys we touch on this a little bit, but still just consumes so much basketball, like so much. He re- reads a ton of books. He's always looking at media online, gr- ton of film, like works very hard to make sure that he's still getting better at his craft year by year. So, you know, cause now you, you gotta be able to do a lot of things. And it didn't used to be like that when he was doing scouts in the late eighties, like that was what his job was. And now you gotta be able to recruit. You gotta be able to evaluate. You gotta be able to network. You gotta be able to cut film. You gotta be able to write a practice plan. You know, they might be like, Bruce, we need a, we need a contact for an Italian restaurant. He can go in his Rolodex and he can get a pregame meal. Like that's what you have to be able to do now, especially at a school like FDU. And I think it's when you see a guy like Bruce, you listen to a guy talk, this is the type of career that a lot of people have if they just love basketball and they love what they're doing. And, and that's why I, I thought this interview was so great because of that. Yeah. And, and you mentioned it and we talked to him a lot about almost going back and seeing basketball change through the decades. Can you see that? Can you identify, you know, when the game's kind of changing and how you change with it? And you brought up a funny thing, mentioning the Rolodex, right? In 1985, he had a physical Rolodex. In 1995, he had a physical Rolodex. And then now you have your iPhone, you're using technology. There's all these different products and access and resources. Everyone's got the same resource. So how do you differentiate yourself? How do you make yourself stand out and have that uh, valuable, what he was doing for Carlissimo, right? As an X and O guy. Well, now you have to make yourself more valuable. And I think that's really interesting uh, how we talk to him about that and how he's adapted. Because if you don't adapt, and you've seen it in this industry. If you don't adapt to certain things, you know, you're much, you're at much more risk to kind of fall out of the industry or not get ahead of it. And I think Bruce has done a great job of that. And I think that's the perspective that we haven't gotten this podcast that we're now getting uh, with an older gentleman like Bruce. And, and just to put this in perspective, and I don't want to harbor, I don't want to harp on this point, but Bruce was coaching the national championship game when I was two months old. Like that, that's, that's what we're talking about here. 31, 30 years ago, 1989 national title game against Michigan. I wasn't born. Yeah. They lose in overtime, but I I do want to point out, and I want to say this, like I had a number of different conversations with Bruce in my career, but he did reach out to us. And and he he said to me, like, one of the reasons he really wanted to do this was because he has a, a pretty solid D3 background, started as an assistant at Trenton state. And then 11 years as the head coach at Keene, which was his alma mater. And I think that, you know, he really has kind of, not necessarily respected, but he's, he's kind of enjoyed listening to us having a lot more D3 guys on lately and how that life is different. So the contrast between I'm working for P.J. Car- Carlissimo at Seton Hall, I'm playing for the national championship, now I'm coaching at Keene State as a Division three head coach. 
you know, take a listen to that because there's guys that are D1 assistants that want to run their own program. And so they're going to end up leveling down. And we talked to him a little bit about like, hey, what would you do differently if you got a chance to be a Division three head coach again or Division one head coach, whatever? Like, what mistakes did you make? What did you try to do? You know, because now you've had 13, 14 years to look back on that and say, like, this is what went well and this is what I didn't do so well. And, you know, we talked about that a little bit with Matt Goldsmith, where you get a chance to kind of reset. And so, I appreciated that about Bruce, just recognizing that like at all levels, like there's tons of good coaches and there's tons of ways to kind of skin a cat. And that was the whole kind of basis of this conversation was that he had been listening to a lot of the D3 guys and and really enjoying it, like really enjoying getting those perspectives on things because you do sometimes forget about that as you're, you know, playing Gonzaga in the NCAA tournament like FDU did this year. Yeah. And I think you make a good point. And for us, uh, we say this, you know, a few times throughout our podcast that, you know, we like when people reach out to us. It, not only does it make us feel good, but it gives us, a, you know, a different direction. It kind of reaffirms what we're doing with the D3 and D2 guys. And I think you can draw a lot from the different perspectives of different people that we bring on. And uh, Bruce is no different in that respect. And, you know, I enjoyed it. I enjoy having it on. I, I think I enjoy everyone we kind of bring on and uh, getting their takes on things. Yeah, and I, I think, Smalls, it's fair to say that you actually did fire a little bit of cash on Bovada for the FDU Prairie View A&M game. I'm not sure if you took the spread for uh, them against Gonzaga. We, we did not talk about that a little bit with Bruce, like, hey, what happened in that game? We, we do talk about the NCAA tournament, but not, not from a gambling perspective, of course. But, uh, you know, just a really interesting season. And, and I do think one other thing before we, you know, go to the interview, we did talk to them this year. They had a, a little bit of a rough start, five and seven out of conference, and then one and four in the league before they really turned it around and, and were one of the hottest teams in the country going into the NCAA tournament, won 17 of the last 19. And every season's different, and, and every team comes into a season with expectations. And I think when you have a guy like Bruce and, and their coach, Greg Corenda, and obviously like our buddy Pete Lapis is on staff and Pat Sellers does a great job, like you have guys that have been in a lot of different situations. And I think that's very, very important. And we do get into staff continuity. We get into – you know, what roles people have. We get into kind of growing as an assistant, growing, realizing what works as a staff. And I think like just, there's just so much information here. So I don't want to take any more of their time, Smalls. As always, if you like what you hear, you can uh, subscribe on iTunes, leave us a review, five-star review, write it down, send it to me. I'll send you a koozie. Other assistant coaches and people that have been on our show, keep an eye out for your koozies. Jeff Rafferty is claiming that we're liars and that they didn't get sent out. So just go to your your company mail room if you're owed some koozies and be like, hey, stop drinking your sodas and your LaCroix and your kombucha with the Create Your Shot koozie. Make sure they get where they need to go. As always, reach out to us. Create Your Shot on Twitter, at Create Your Shot Pod on Instagram, Create Your Shot on Facebook, Create Your Shot at gmail.com. Uh, just get in touch with us. DM us. Let us know. You want people on the show. Let us know who they are. And, and, and we're ready to do it. We, uh, we've been growing a little bit recently. We have some big, big changes coming out. Smalls is spearheading a lot of stuff that I think is going to be really good for us. So other than that, thanks as always for everyone who listens and enjoy this interview with Bruce Hamburger, the associate head coach at Fairleigh Dickinson University. Welcome on, Bruce Hamburger, associate head coach for the Fairleigh Dickinson Knights in the Northeast Conference. 
Bruce, we've had your uh, co-worker Pete Lapis on before. He's a good friend of ours, but we appreciate you joining us. How are you tonight? Doing well. Doing well. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So you just wrapped your sixth season on staff at FDU. Uh, you split the NEC regular season title this year, and you won the NEC conference tournament. First four win over Prairie View A&M and, and then lost to Gonzaga in the uh, first round of the, or second round of the NCAA tournament. You've had some time to take a breath and reflect on this year. I'm curious, you know, what are your thoughts on how this season played out for you guys? Yeah, you know, it, it was definitely a tale of uh, several seasons within a season. You know, we, we went through our non-conference, like most teams at our level, with some good wins and some tough losses just based on who you're playing. And, and then we obviously got off to a poor start in conference play. So, you know, you're sitting there at one and four, with a, with a pretty good team, we felt you're, you're shaking your head like, ooh, we got, we got to figure this out, you know, quickly because, you know, one more – one and four and one more bad weekend, one and six, and you're in trouble. Um, so, obviously, we, we rebounded from that poor start and had a, you know, phenomenal run and a, a terrific two months, you know, culminating in the conference tournament win at St. Francis and then, obviously, the whole NCAA experience. So, it was definitely – a season, a couple seasons within a season, which you know, I think a lot of people have that. Um, at this level, it's probably not as rare because, again, there's just you know you have the the money games you play and the the tough you know the Princetons of the world that you play non conference and and then again you get into you know the NEC, which is such a competitive conference, and the 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 difference between you know one to eight or nine is is very minimal at best and um so you know you just I, I think it's you know just finding your way and not getting too down once the the non-conference part of the the schedule concludes and just kind of you know kind of getting your legs back under you and then oh, okay we're 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 going to be good you know now we're playing like opponents and we just have to figure it out now again we didn't start off well and I, and I think you know again we we weren't guarding well early you know some of our better players were not playing well early and it just kind of all came together collectively and you know it didn't, certainly didn't happen overnight and I, I don't think it was a magic um word said or meeting or moment per se it's just guys just kind of played the way we were capable and you know, then once we started winning, it, it was like, wow, like, you know, we're, and I, I said that to someone, you know, I, I go back and I know we're going to talk about when I was at Seton Hall, but it kind of reminded me of that. Some of those better teams we had where you went into the game feeling you're going to win and kind of whatever happened within the game, you still had that sense of like, this is going to work out. Okay. You know, we, we, we know how we play. We know how to win. We have good players. They're going to make plays and figure it out. And that's kind of what happened. And it just, you know, success breeds success and you feel good about yourself and it just snowballs. Yeah. Bruce, did you feel that in the moment? Like we mentioned this and I, I did write this five and seven out of conference, which is, which is somewhat common, especially for, for a low major school, because like you said, you, you play by games and stuff like that and you got to take home and homes with good teams. And then, but one at four in conference and then like the streak, I feel like you're underselling it a little bit. Like you won 17 of 19 going into the NCAA yeah. tournament so you lost to Gonzaga like one of the hottest teams in the country at that point and, and not getting a ton of love because your season ultimately comes down to whether this is right or wrong we talk about this all the time but your season comes down ultimately to going to St. Francis it's like all right are we going to the NCAA tournament or are we maybe going to the NIT because you split that regular season title but 
Did you feel that like in that run where you like, man, like this team is really good. Like we feel like we're going to win every single game that we play. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, again, obviously I can't speak for everyone else, but I definitely had that feeling. I I really did. And even games when we were down and not playing great, it it just, you know, you, you kind of have that moment to reflect of like, we've done this before, you know, we figured it out. We didn't, we, we didn't panic. You know, we had good senior leadership. Um, so, you know, I think just a lot of pieces to the puzzle were in place to be successful. And yeah, I mean, I, I did I, I, many times during games. I, you know, as you look back in retrospect, like it was never a panic moment. It was never, oh my God, what's, you know, what's going to happen? Even the Prairie View game, you know, we were down whatever, 12, 13 points with seven or eight to go. I never sensed that, oh my God, that panic, like we're done, we're in trouble, we're not going to figure this out. That's actually like a perfect microcosm for what you're talking about because they made a ton of shots early and then all of a sudden like Darnell Edge and like Jaleel Jenkins, they just start to make a couple more shots. And then, like you said, the ball just kind of starts rolling downhill and you run them down and then win the game. But it it felt like earlier, it's like, oh, shoot, like we could get run out of the gym. And I'm sure people watching, maybe they you know went on Bovada and bet on it or something. They're like, man, these FDU Knights, like they're frauds. But you're probably sitting on the bench like we've been through this process before and, and you probably felt pretty good about it, I think. Yeah, 100%, 100%. You know, and, and again, you know, typical, the kids are looking at you at halftime with the scattering port or, you know, 25% three-point shooting team and, you know, they shoot lights out. But then it's like, all right, you know, like the log averages, are, they're not going to do this for the whole game. You know, you get you got to, you know, the analytics part, you got to look and the numbers don't lie that, you know, they are who they are. And, we, you know, yes, we got to guard better. We got to close out better. We got to contest shots better you know, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, if we do the right things, you know, we've been here, we've done this. And we said that at halftime of that game, you know, we, we went back, Hey, we were in this position, you know, this night and this night. And, and if we do these things, we're, we're going to be okay. And, you know, again, kids, when, you know, you, you guys know when they, they see success and they, and, and, and things work out the right way, they have a, a great frame of reference because coaches you're always going to say that to them you know hey it'll work blah 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 but you know kids, kids you know kids go back to what you know their own highlight tape in their mind of what occurred so you know I think they all had a good uh frame of reference to go back on yeah hey Bruce you joined coach Horenda obviously in his first year what's the biggest difference between you know before the first season essentially just getting the job to now as a staff and as a program? Yeah, you know, I, I think continuity, you know, we, we've been pretty consistent. Not, not con- I shouldn't say pretty consistent because we've lost guys on staff who've gotten better jobs. But, um, you know, th- this group, you know, and Pete's obviously been with us now for four or five years, I, don't know, I think five years. And, um, you know, our ops guy, Darius, played for us one year. So as a, as a transfer student, you know, grad transfer. So he kind of knows what the program is about. And Pat's obviously finished his second year. So I, I think the staff continuity has been good. And, you know, we're, we're, we, we, we've gotten away. And I think our league has in terms of we're not losing as many kids to transfers at the moment, or at least not losing the high profile player. Um, you know, we, we, we feel we've obviously got good players. Uh, I think our, our players have gotten better and developed, but you know, that first, second year there you're you're trying again i mean i think culture is such an overused word but you are trying to build a 
a behavior of your program, what you stand for, what you're about. And, you know, now I think that's established so we can just coach basketball. You know, we're, we're not having days where we have to coach the referee. And, that, and that's, you know, that's, I think that's clearly one of Greg's strengths is he just get guys to play with a ton of confidence and to play really hard. And um, it sounds simplistic, which it is simplistic, but, you know, you, you speak to so many coaches and they complain, uh, we don't practice well, guys don't play hard. We're, you know, we, we got to get them to play hard. We literally don't have that problem. So you can, you can focus on the basketball and you can focus on player development and game preparation and, you know, the, the little things that make you successful. So I, I, I think that, you know, um, that's kind of established and in place. And, uh, you know, our upperclassmen do a really good job of kind of teaching the young guys and mentoring them a little bit of, of, you know, this is what we're about. And obviously in the recruiting process, and again, nothing we do is revolutionary. I mean, I think every school now is very adamant about, you know, you got to come see us practice. This is what we're about. We do that, you know, come sit here. You know, we put two chairs on the court for the kid and his coach or his parents. And I mean, literally sit right on the court during practice. This is how we are, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. This is what we do. And yeah, I just think kids come in knowing the expectations. And, you know, when you're, you're there the first year or two, you're, you're still kind of defining those expectations. Now they're, you know, and again, they change, but for the most part, I think the things that really make teams go and make programs win and be successful, I, I think this to a large level are, are kind of in place now. So it, it certainly allows you to coach more and not worry about the day to day. Hey, are we going to have good practices or their heads together? Are they, you know, are they in the right place mentally? I was going to ask this question a little later, but we're kind of segueing into it. You know, 35 years, so many different decades. You started coaching before, you know, Tyler and I were born, not to date yeah. you here, but Man. that's so much experience. How have you adapted as a coach, as the game, and not just the game, not just the players, but actually the industry has changed and undergone so many changes. How have you been able to kind of uh, adapt and be still be valuable to the different staffs throughout the years? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. Um, you know, I've, I've been fortunate. I, I, I think I've really, I've worked for really good people. I've worked with really good people. Um, I, one of the things I've really tried to do, and obviously technology has changed coaching in, in so many ways. So I've tried to really stay on top of that and learn and, you know, kind of be progressive with it and be proactive. And, um, you know, I could be better with, with a lot of stuff, but I, I see so many guys, even guys younger than myself, you know, you see them on the road and, you know, they barely know how to open an email or they're fiddling around with their phones. So I, I, I like to think like I, I, to some degree, and again, I, I can always get better at that, but I, I, I think the technology side for for my generation and my age, I think I'm pretty good with that. Because um, I think, you know, one, that's how the kids are. I mean, you, you got to somewhat be at their level. I mean, again, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm listening to their music or watching the movies they do. But I, I think, you know, again, we, we have a, a really good video system. And in preseason, I, I go, you know, once before we're playing games, I, I go home and, you know, have dinner and put on the iPad and watch practice and pull out clips and text to the kids with notes. Hey, you know, mm -hmm. your health defense could have been better in this. And, 
you know, just having a dialogue through the use of technology, I, I, I think, you know, if you're not doing that as a coach, and especially as a, you know, I wouldn't call myself an older coach, but an experienced coach, if you're not, if you're not capable or up to the speed with that, uh, I think the game's going to pass you by. And I, I think I, you know, I do see guys, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, you see some guys in the final four, like, you know, who are not coaching now. And like, oh, I remember that guy when I was much younger, seeing that guy, not that I even know him, but I remember that guy and like, they're out of coaching. So I, I do think that is something you got to stay up with. And it's, I mean, is it, is a as a coach now, like there's so much at your fingertips with Twitter and, you know, the internet, like if you're not learning as a coach and advancing and, and, and staying relevant, like shame on you. Cause there's so much, you know, when I first started, it was like, Ooh, you got to go to a clinic, you know, yeah. one of the Nike clinics or, you know, there used to be these clinics. Take all those notes. Your... Yeah. You're yeah. doing your own stats. Yeah. You're doing all this different yeah. stuff. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I got like pretty excited about this because like, I, I you know, I, I worked at hoop group. We've talked about this a lot, but I have yep. no idea. You know, you hear stories from older guys and they worked at five star. They worked at hoop or Eastern invitational yep. back in the day. They just yep. went to summer yep. camps and like, you got like lectures from like Rick Patino, you know, maybe he was yep. probably telling you yep. the good stuff though, but you got like Hubie Brown and stuff and you can't do that yep. anymore. It's like, yep. as a coach, no. that stuff was like invaluable. And I was thinking about it and I was like, man, like I'm excited to talk to somebody who cut their teeth in that kind of era. And, and yep. like, that's how they networked. Yep. No, hundred percent. I mean, I remember going to the first basketball clinic I ever went to was it. I was proud because I started coaching when I was in college. I, I realized I wasn't a good player and I, I knew I wanted to coach. And I was coaching at my local high school as an assistant when I was probably 19 years old. And I went to a, a St. John's University, um, UB Brown clinic. And I remember walking, and again, I knew at 19, I didn't know anything. I mean, I was just trying to figure it out, but I remember walking, you know, he was the Knicks coach at the time. And I remember walking out like, Oh my God, like, you know, and I was UV Brown in his prime. Like, wow. Like you, you really got a lot to learn in, in this profession. Um, you know, and then it was like, yeah, you'd have to find newspaper articles or magazine articles or go to the library and get a book. And it was just a different way to learn. But that's where I'm fortunate. I, I work for really good. I mean, I've worked for phenomenal coaches that just, you know, you, you, take, you take a little bit from each one of what's good. Sometimes, you you know, you, you, you learn as much from what doesn't work, uh, obviously. But, uh, yeah, it, it's, a, it's an interesting process of, you know, just the development and kind of how the profession has changed over over the years with with so much again at your at your fingertips now like again I, I just go back to boy if you're not improving and learning every day like shame on you because the kids are changing the game is changing basketball has changed like you better you better stay relevant or you're going to get passed aside really quickly in this profession because there there's so many good young coaches now like I, I i see some of these young guys and i'm like wow like there's so much more advanced at 25, 26 than I was in, in so many different areas that, you know, it's kind of scary. I, I want to talk about that for a second. So you will probably downplay this because most coaches do, but you, you get a job at Seton Hall for PJ Carlissimo when you're, like I said, if my math is right, it's frequently wrong on this show, but 25, 26 years old. He was at the time build Seton Hall into a national title contender and, and one of the hottest like young coaches in the business, yep. like goes to the trailblazers. 
What was that like, Bruce? I, I mean, like you, you go there, you, you get on staff, and then four years later, you lose in the national title to Michigan, by, you know, in overtime. And then all of a sudden, like this guy's in the NBA. He's, he's on TV all the time. Like now he's an announcer. Everybody knows the name and you worked with him at the beginning. What, what was that like for you? What did you learn? Like what were those staff meetings like? I made a joke to Pete about like you and Rod Baker and, uh, you know, John Carroll probably in there cutting tape until two o'clock in the morning, deck to deck, <laughs> just loving life. But yeah, yeah, no, Pete, Pete told me that today. Yeah, you know what? It, it was great. I mean, and again, I, I got, you know, timing is everything in this profession and in life. I mean, I, I got there after the battles for the first four or five years of his tenure at Seton Hall when they yeah. weren't good and, you know, they were on the verge of, of getting rid of PJ and the president and the athletic director were strong and, and stayed committed to him. But I mean, he was, I worked for PJ, I worked with PJ for eight years. And I mean, I went from being a, you know, a GA to the volunteer, to the restricted earnings guy, all the different titles. And um, at the end of the day, it was great because he gave me a, at a really young age, a ton of responsibility. I mean, the national championship, I was 27 years old, I guess. Um, and I'm doing a scouting report in the game preparation to play in a national championship. I mean, my, what was, my the, uh, first what was year, the scout on Steve Smith? What'd you have for that one? Yeah. Well, no, nah, it was Michigan, Michigan State. State. Michigan State. State. Yeah, Michigan State. Glenn Rice, right? Yeah, Glenn no, Rice. Glenn Rice. Oh, yeah, no, we had to report right. He could make shots and make a lot of them. <laughs> make up one. We just, uh, you know, shooter. we, we oh, yeah, he wasn't, he wasn't bad. I was a heck of a team they had. But, you know, he just gave me at a young age, he had trust and a belief in me. Um, you know, and just allowed me to grow and kind of mentored me. And, you know, again, I, I at that time, you know, the, the quote unquote third assistant, you weren't really involved in recruiting. And we, I was involved when a kid would come on campus for the visit, but the, the third guy couldn't go out and recruit. So everything I did was basketball related. And that's when you could live scout. So I'd be on the road two or three days a week at different games. I did eventually after I think my second year, he kind of changed the approach. Like initially each guy did the different scouts and then it was like, you know what? I, I did them all. And it just, it, it made for just good continuity within the, in the staff and allowed the guys who were recruiting to recruit the scouting reports were presented in one way. And so I just had so much, you know, which is what's helped me, um, you know, just career wise and, and, X and O wise, like I, I've just seen so many games and watched so much tape. And back then it was, you know, we had a satellite dish, but there was no synergy. So, you know, you were hoping the game was on satellite. So you were at a live scout, like you really had to be on top of your game. You couldn't, oh, I'm going to go back and write the time down and go back and watch it eight times to figure out, you know, now again, the game was a little different. It wasn't as much pick. There was, there was no pick and roll. So it was much more, you know, A to B to C and much more um, pattern basketball um, wasn't as, you know, creative as it is now. But just, you know, the the volume of tape and live scouting that you watch, just it's it certainly helped my development as a coach and, um, you know, just just enabled me, you know, whether to, you know, to Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 hours. I don't know if I'm at 10,000 hours, but I'm, I'm probably pretty close if you add up <laughs> all the years and, you know, the amount of tape you watch and, and scouting and live games. And, you know, it just, it, it just so much helped 
my my basketball knowledge and my ability to watch the game at, a, at a, probably a different level than than some other people who you know were were busy recruiting and doing other things. And uh, to me, it was just all basketball, and it was great because every day would practice, he and I would meet just the two of us and all right, what are we working on? What sets today? How do we want to guard this? And it, it just gave me an insight to, at a young age of how, you know, a head coach thinks and how a head coach prepares practice and, you know, goes about delegating responsibility within the staff and presenting stuff to the team. So, you know, it, it was, again, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously indebted to him for giving me an opportunity at a young guy for that level, but then even more so giving me the, you know, again, just the trust he had and the belief in what I did and, and, and him translating that to the team of like, you know, Hey, like this is the guy you're listening to. This is the guy that's going to, you know, prepare you for teams. And then he was very public. If we had a good game and it was something with the preparation, he, in his press conference would say it, you know, like he, he Bruce out us prepared. It was a quick turn. You know, we had a lot of, Saturday afternoon and then Monday night, you know, big Monday, ESPN, big East game. So it was a quick, you know, you come in Sunday and you got to be ready. You know, you're playing Syracuse Saturday and you got Georgetown Monday of like a quick turnaround. And, you know, it just, it, it helped me so much with my presentation of how you present stuff to the team and prepare and, you know, kind of consolidate all your information into, into what the kids can, you know, again, doesn't matter what I know if the kids don't know it. So, uh, it, it was a great. How did you stay humble as a as a young assistant on a staff that was having a ton of success? I, I know in this business, you know, sometimes young guys have a lot of success early, and it's not always the best thing that happens in their career. Do, do you feel like? I, I mean, how did you manage to you know stay humble and and stay you know like not to steal the old John Ross team, but like stay humble and hungry and like make sure every single day you were still working really hard. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's part of just who I am, but I also think, I mean, he he was. PJ was terrific as a role model for that. You know, it was always every press conference, every public time he spoke, it was we, it was us, it was the team. And, you know, like it made such an impression upon me where, like you said, he was such a big name and such a public figure. Everyone loved him, was a great speaker. We were really good. We were on TV all the time. So, like, if he had an ego, which he does, I mean, we all have egos, but. If he if if it went to his head, I mean, he could have been out of control with it. And I, it just struck me as a young guy, like, wow, like this is the guy in charge, and this is about, you know, this is about us. This is about the team. It's not about me. And he never made it about himself. He was, you know, just what you described. He was a really humble guy with a ton of success at a young age. Like you said, he was I don't even know, you know what he was mid thirties, you know, late thirties when when we had a role in there. So as a young guy in his mid to late twenties, you see that and say, wow, like this is how it's supposed to be. And, you know, I, I like to think part of it, you know, I was brought up that way and raised that way, but, um, you know, I definitely had a good role model and him and, and everyone else on our staff. It was just a, about the kids, about the team, about all, oh, not about individual stuff. All the individual stuff will take care of itself because we're going to be good. Guys, we've got to take a quick break. Hello, guys. It's MMA fighter Chael Sonnen. Check out my podcast, You're Welcome, with Chael Sonnen every Wednesday and Friday right here at Podcast One. We cover the latest in mixed martial arts and everything else going on in the world of sport. Listen free to You're Welcome with Chael Sonnen, exclusively available 
at podcastone.com and on the Podcast One app. If you love the show, share it with a friend and leave us a rating and review. America's pastime is back. The smell of the grass, the crack of the bat, and now that sensation of money burning a hole in your pocket. Yahoo Daily Fantasy Contests bring you closer than ever to the game you love. Yahoo DFS offers single-day and week-long contests so you can pick a new team every day. To get started, go to yahoo.com backslash daily fantasy and find a contest that's right for you. Try a 50-50 contest where the top 50% of lineups wins, or you can try Yahoo's innovative quick match feature where they'll pair you with another player of your skill level. You can play quick match for free or for cash, but the best part is there's no management fee. You'll keep 100% of your winnings. Or you can play for larger prizes and bigger bragging rights and guaranteed prize pool contests. Yahoo DFS has the lowest management fees across the industry. Don't play with other sites that charge you high fees just to play. Yahoo's lower fees mean more prizes for you, the players, to win. So use the promo code POD25, P-O-D-2-5, for $25 in free play when you make your first deposit. The sooner you get to playing, the sooner you can get to winning. Go to yahoo.com backslash daily fantasy to start playing today. And now, back to Bruce Hamburger. I re- you know, I realized, and I'm listening to you talk, and I realized that technology is so valuable now, and you know, you can see the game from so many different perspectives and have different voices, and like you said, everything's at your fingertips. But hearing you talk, do you kind of miss that old time where you're heading to live scout games, you're on the road a little bit, you're really just focusing on basketball? Because I just feel like sometimes in anything as we progress as a society in a world you get all this technology and stuff you almost have too much of it and you're not getting back to the core do you do you feel yourself missing those days and that learning 100 percent. no definitely I, it was phenomenal like and again traveling was much easier than in terms of i mean you you know i'd literally show up in newark airport 15 minutes before my flight you know a manager or someone in my family would drop me off and you know, you'd run to the gate, walk on, and, you know, you'd be in Pittsburgh in an hour. I, there were times I, I would, you know, I'd, I'd leave my office at Hall at 4 o'clock, go to Newark Airport, and I'd be at an 8 o'clock game sitting courtside at Pittsburgh and <laughs> be home at 8 o'clock the next morning and be in my office by 9 o'clock. And it was like, I, you, know, you know, there was no, like, oh, my God, where did the time go? Because it was just bang, bang, bang. You're, you know, you're going to a game. Well, you you're, did. You know, yeah. So nah, and it was again, just you know, you'd see guys on the road, the guys at the, at that time who were, you know, in 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 that same capacity in the Big East. I mean, you go back to the coach. I mean, like Jay Wright was the third guy at Villanova. I see Jay on the road all the time scouting. You'd see, you know, Timmy Welsh at Syracuse. Uh, you know, just guys who were in that capacity. You know, those guys obviously their careers went. In different paths than mine did to say the least but uh but just you know there was like that camaraderie of coaches that you see on the road and you know just being at games live you know again how good the big east was like you think wow never mind your own games that you're at but you're at you know you're at the dome you're at where i've been at nova at Pitt, at yukon like sitting courtside at these games like wow it, like doesn't get any better than that so no nah, definitely definitely miss those days you accept the head coaching job at Keene University in 1995. How did you? How did that happen? And how did you feel like the time was right to run your own program and kind of put your stamp on a uh, university? Yeah, um, you know what? I, I went to Kane, so I obviously was familiar with the school. Um, when when PJ left to go 
to uh, to the Trailblazers. You know, I George Blaine, he kept me on staff at Seton Hall. You know, he wanted someone who was familiar with the league and the program and the kids. So I, I was with him for the first year. And I, I just knew, like, I, I knew I was ready. I'd interviewed for some jobs prior to that, did not get them. Um, but, you know, good experience. I felt I was ready to, to take that jump. And I was all set going back to the second year with him. It was in September, and I got a call one night from the AD. You know, we, we had a coaching change. You know, we, we found, you know, we were aware who you are, blah, blah, blah. We'd like to talk. So I went in and, and talked, and they offered me a job. And, I, you know, it, I, I was kind of realistic. I knew, you know, and again, I think times were different than, you know, in today's world. You know, I probably, you know, just where – a big East assistant from a very successful young guy who people thought was a good basketball guy. You know, you're, you're, you're getting an FDU job. You're getting, but jobs didn't change as much. There wasn't as much turnover. So I knew, I knew I wanted to be a head coach and, you know, I was a North Jersey guy. I knew every high school coach in the state, it seemed. So I, I kind of thought like, you know what, it's a, it's a great league. I mean, at that time, the NJAC was arguably one or two best division three leagues in the country. It was, it was literally like, a D3 Big East, and I just say, you know what, like, I, I need to see if I can do this, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. I want to be a head coach. Here, here's a place I'm familiar with, an area I'm familiar with. I don't have to move, you know, let it, let's, let's go. And uh, it was just, you know, and I, I kind of knew, like, I think Coach Blaney needed to have all of his own guys. I just thought, you know, it, it wasn't awkward, but it's always different. You know, we, we weren't great. You know, the first year we went to NIT, but the expectations, obviously, for Seton Hall at that time were different. And, you know, it was kind of like I, I was the holdover guy. And, you know, I, I at times with alums or fans was kind of putting some awkward conversations with people of, of why things weren't where they were. And people forget, you know, we graduated NBA guys like it's, it's a transition. But it, it was just time, you know, it was just time to make a move and uh you know, I'm, I'm certainly glad in retrospect that I did. It was, it was a great, you know, I had a good run, a really good run at Kane and a great, uh, great opportunity, you know, to be a head coach. Cause at the end of the day in this profession, and that's kind of what ultimately made as I was deciding, like, you know, like not everyone gets a chance to be a head coach in this, you know, you go through all the schools and how many assistants, I don't, I don't care what level, like if you, you know, to be a head, co- a college head coach is, is pretty special. And, uh, so I just, you know, I mean, a lot of factors contributed, but at the end of the day, that's kind of what I said to myself, like, don't be stupid. You want to, you know, like Duke, Duke's not calling and Carolina's not calling. And, uh, you know, like, and, and, you know, I just felt like it was a place I could go and be successful and, and, and see if I could do this. You know, like I thought I had knowledge and I thought I had a, a sense of how to run a program, but all right, let's go, let's go try this. Thinking back on it, what do you think you did really well? as the head coach during your time and what maybe would you do differently? Yeah. You know, I, I think I, I knew what I want. I knew what the, the, the product should look like. I knew how we wanted to play. I knew the type, I knew what I was comfortable teaching and style of play. And I had, and I had a sense of what type of kid I wanted to, to coach and have in my program, you know, on and off the court. So I, I definitely think I had a vision of what we were going to be about. And I think, you know, I, I think I was able to translate that to my staff 
and, you know, just find the type of guys that we wanted and coach them how we wanted to. Um, you know, so I, 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 and again, I think evolve and change with, you know, by the end of my run there, we were running pick and roll stuff. And we, you know, we, 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 we kind of evolved into a little bit more of the modern game as, as it was at that time. Um, you know, I think the thing I could have done and should have, and if I had the chance again, would, would do differently. I was probably too stubborn on as much as I think it was a strength, the type of kid we want in the program. I probably didn't take enough risks on some kids that maybe weren't as good a student or, or maybe, you know, a little questionable as a kid, but could really play. I, I probably had too many nice guys. And if that's, if that's a criticism, I could live with that. Um, they were good guys and good players, but I, pro- I probably needed one or two guys a little street tougher and, and, and just a little bit more of a nastiness and maybe, all right, you know, he's not perfect, but we can work with him. And I'm not a big believer in kids change. I mean, I think kids are who they are, even if you surround them with good people. So that, that was part of my, I don't know, stubbornness, not the right word, but just my, um, my desire to have the type of kids I wanted to coach but I probably could have been a little more flexible in that regard, looking at the league, how it was at that time where a lot of other guys were very flexible um, with, you know, the, 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 the type of kid. And I probably didn't do the transfer, you know, which was at that time, a big thing in the end, Jack, I probably didn't do the, you know, kind of do my homework and turn up some stones and find some guys that were, that fell through the cracks. Um, uh, that probably, you know, would be, would be what I, I would do differently, but with a, with a, you know, with just a small degree, because at the end of the day, I think as a coach, you got to know who you can coach and who you want to be around and the type of kids and the type of, you know, people. And that was part of when I got the job because it was a mess when I got there because of that. they went so far the other way. So they basically told me like, Hey, we, we, you need to get this cleaned up and, you know, like, quality kids that the school can be proud of so i at the end of the day i i know i did that and uh you know i I think i was there 11 years i think we had two guys who completed their eligibility that didn't graduate so like that's something i'm proud of obviously especially at that level because at that level that means i I mean we didn't put that in there i think i I think reflection has been one of the biggest themes of the show over the last you know, a couple months as guys kind of talking about things they did right and things they did wrong. And it's, it's always interesting because, you know, I, I get back to ego a little bit and it's so clear, Bruce, that you have just none at all. And, and I, I just wonder because you get an opportunity and guys talk about, like, like you said, like, you want to be a head coach, like this is it. And, and I do just wonder like, Hey, do you think back on it and say like, you know, knowing what I know now and, and knowing how I've advanced in my career and how I've done, were there some tweaks that I could make? Because I, I think that's always the key for people who might listen and, and whether they're in the NJAC or, you know, they're in the CAC, wherever, you know, they're in the PSAC, whatever conference they're in. It's like, oh, you know, like this is somebody who's been in this experience before. And, uh, you know, maybe they're afraid to take some risks on kids too. Because, I mean, Dump was the same way, Bruce. Like he didn't want to coach guys that he didn't like, you know, and, and he'll, he'll, he'll listen to this and text me and be like, you're a liar. Like I can coach anybody. But like ultimately, like you don't want guys in your program that are just constantly a headache and, even if they do score 25, 30 points a game, it's, it's very difficult, you know? Yep. No, extremely. And, and again, you talk to guys, you know, two minutes before the game, you know, you're talking to the other head coach and, you know, in February and guys are like, Oh man, I can't wait till this season's over. <laughs> and yeah, you know, like, and they're having good years. You're like, Oh man. Like, and that, that would kind of confirm for me, you know what? I'm, 
I'm doing the right thing and I'm making the right choices that I can live with. And, and part of that too, I think is I never had, and I've never been that guy of like, I'm in, you know, I'm at school A, but I'm looking to get to school B. I, I was always just, you know, do, do, do a good job where you're at, whatever happens, it'll take care of itself. And you, you know, you put yourself hopefully in a good position. So I probably, I never had that. And I know a lot of guys, like you said, the D2, D3 have success and they're like, oh my God, I got to get out of here. I got to get to that next job. And, you know, you'd see those guys where they'd start just, they kind of got away from what they believed in and what their program was built around. And, you know, some guys at work, they got other jobs and uh, some guys, it, it really was a downfall for them. And, you know, I, I, I just think that's such a fine line, but ultimately, like you said, you got, you got to, I just think as a head coach, you got to be, you got to be comfortable coaching the guys you want. Cause you know, and the guys that you can coach and tolerate and, be around and that's that's where the NBA guys blow my mind how they do that. You know, like they're around each other so much and they they just it, it works, you know, they they find ways where they're all on the same page. That that's I, I have so much respect for the NBA guys in that regard. Just the length of the season and they're they're all you know, and again, I know it's not all perfect and you're only seeing the product, you're not seeing all the day to day stuff, but just the the team dynamics of it is, is so big in this sport. Um, and it's, I just think it's so easily ruined and damaged. And, you know, I think when you damage it, it really, you know, it, it's, it's hard to rebuild. So I, I, I kind of always had that belief and, you know, it probably, you know, affected us in terms of we, yeah, we could have had, you know, is it worth having three more wins that year or whatever, you know, four more wins and all right, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, 20 games over 500 with my final record as opposed to whatever it is. Like the end of the day, it's like, who cares? You know, is it really that to, to, to kind of sell yourself? And cause at the end of the day, it's still like, Hey, you got to look in the mirror and you know what? Like I, I didn't do the kids a disservice by having that type of environment and maybe it affected the record, but I don't know. I, I, I can live with it very comfortably. Cause I know ultimately again, it was like, you know what, this is what we're about. And, um, you know, I'm not going to sway from it, but you see, you know, you, there's so many examples you hear a guy. I mean, you know, I, I love like Jay, Jay Wright is so honest about, you know, they had it rolling and it, it kind of got away from him. And I mean, he's, he's obviously publicly talked about it and he, obviously he's figured it out quickly and they, they've regrouped, but you know, that, that really like, that's, you know, when he, when he, came out and talked about that, that really, you know, again, as you said, in reflection, I look back and say, because there are times I question, yeah, but I could have done this. I should have done that. But that part, you know, here, here's obviously a hall of fame coach and, you know, with all, with all his success and accolades, realizing it in, in a program like Villanova, where if it's affecting a program like Villanova, boy, it's going to affect everyone and anyone. The, the the other guy like that too, and, and he hasn't said this just because he's a little bit more of a car salesman than Jay, but uh, Bruce Pearl is one guy that I noticed with that too. Like when he was at Tennessee and Wisconsin, Milwaukee, like when he had a little like kind of one tier level down type of guy, they were rolling, they were dogs up in your face all the time. He starts getting McDonald's All-Americans and struggles a little bit at Tennessee. They, they're not quite as good. And then goes to Auburn and now he's recruiting the same type as kids and, and however he's getting them is, you know, that's a conversation for a different day, but it's the same type of thing. Like he's got these guys and you could tell this particular team this year, they took to the final four. Like he loved coaching this team. Like he yeah. loved it. Like yeah. you could, you, there's whatever your opinion of Bruce Pearl is like, 
that guy had a hundred percent fun. I guess maybe not the Kyle guy foul at the end of the, that maybe wasn't yeah, quite yeah. as fun, yeah. but everything else, like yeah. you loved it. And that's what you, when, yep. when I was growing up and you know, when I was a GA or whatever, I was like, man, that's, that's the staff I want to work on. And it's hard. And you, you grind every single day, but it's like, you're watching your team play and you're just enjoying every minute of it, even wins and losses. Yep. And I, I think that's an unbelievably yeah. good point, Bruce. I really do. Yeah. No, hundred percent. Cause you know, if you have 15 guys who are perfect, it's still really tough and the season has its ups and downs. So all of a sudden you throw in two or three guys that are questionable and not on board with what you want with your program. It, and kids are so, you know, distracted and can be torn away from the, the kind of basic principles of your program. I mean, like that, that's why, again, I, I don't know the guy, but I, I'm such an admirer of his program, like Tony Bennett, you know, it's just like, these are our guys, like this is a Virginia guy. And, you know, Ty Jerome wasn't, he doesn't look the part, he doesn't this, Kyle Gatto, you know, but, but you could tell, like, those are, those are his guys and, and they buy in and boy, like this, uh, you know, the, the sum of the parts and, uh, you know, I, I don't know that, that to me is still kind of the cool part of coaching of just that whole team development and figuring it out and getting kids to buy in and, you know, be on board with what you're preaching as a head coach. I mean, that's still, I think one of the fun parts of the job, but just because it's such a changing, you know, the kids are changing, the culture's changing and, you know, what you have today, you may not have tomorrow because you don't, you don't know who's in their ear and what they're reading or what they're hearing. So it's, uh, it's even more important now, I think, to, as a coach to just have, have guys that you want to coach and guys that are, you know, guys that are your kind of guy. Bruce, uh, real quick before I'm going to cut Smalls off for one second. I, I have one question. I will skip the, unfortunately, we'll, we'll skip the WNBA stories and we'll have you back on for, for some of that a little later. But I, I wanted to get into it because one part of your personality that does fascinate me is it's like very clear that you're, you're known as a really good X's and O's guy. Like if you say the name Bruce Hamburger in the Northeast, like everyone's like, oh yeah, he's, he's, his shit is real tight. Like his scouts are real good. But you are also very much a guy that's constantly re- – no one gets more out of their athletic subscription than you do. You're constantly tweeting articles that you've read. You're, you're tweeting stuff you've seen, you know, videos, things like that. Do you still consume as much basketball as you did when you were younger? Is that still something that you readily try to do on a regular basis? A hundred percent. And I, I consume – I'm much – again, I just think that the times have changed. There's so much more out there now that, you know, back then it was just – you know, you're focused on your own team and the teams you're playing against. Now there's, there's just such opportunity to learn and, and, and improve. And that's why I just tweet stuff. And that when, when, when I got first got on Twitter and I, I kind of figured it out quickly, what it was about, I was like, wow, this is, and I, I kind of got intrigued by it by reading articles that other people were tweeting and, and just posting. And I was like, wow, I would have never had seen that article if I wasn't on Twitter and that's kind of my mindset every day. If I read something good, it's like, you know what? Some guy, I don't know. And I would, for whatever reason is following me or wherever the heck it is, you know, maybe he'll get something out of that article that I, that I read. So I, I try to read a lot during the day and go online and just, you know, again, I think the, yeah, you said the athletic, I think they have just some great articles about coaches and teams and, you know, at every sport, every level, uh, I just, I, I don't know. I put stuff out there that I just think, you know, I, I would like to read if someone else posted that. So hopefully, you know, that's my contribution to Twitter. I'm just putting stuff out there that maybe some coach said, hey, you know what, I picked some, there's one line in that article that made me think. And I think that's what it does to 
all the stuff I read, it just makes me think of like, you know, our own team or how a coach says something, how a coach handles a situation. Um, that I, I think that's because again, we're all good. Every coach is a good X and O coach and whatever you're running, whatever your style, whatever your system, you know, and again, you can learn so much, you know, Zach and all these guys are putting up Chris Oliver and all these guys are putting out such great content with sets and, you know, Jordan Sperber. And I, I know you guys have had him on, like his stuff is really cool. There's so much basketball that you can learn, but to me, all the other stuff is just, you know, I, I want to read what, Steve Kerr, how he's dealing with his team or, you know, like whoever, Bruce Pearl, all, all the names we've mentioned and 9 million other coaches that no one knows about that you just read something. And I mean, I probably, I don't know, I have like 25, 30 Google alerts with coaches where I just get emails and just, you know, probably half of them I don't read, but the ones that look intriguing to me, I read and see, yeah, you know, that's something. You know, the thing I got to get better at is kind of putting all those thoughts in, in, onto my computer onto paper. A lot of them I just read and kind of goes into my mind and uh, I'm certainly not repainting as much as I need to. So I, I probably need to do a better job of just having somewhere to document things that I read that intrigue me. But yeah, I just think it's, you know, it's just such a good way to learn and, and improve as a coach. Cause at the end of the day, I still think it's about, I, I don't know, as a coach, how are you, how are you dealing with your players and, and, you know, are your players buying into it? Are you, you know, what's your relation? I mean, it's a, it's a relationship business. I mean, the recruiting's relationships, dealing with your players, it's all, you know, relationships. Cause I think we've all been around and seen, there's a lot of good coaches that just can't make it work because either the kids aren't buying into it or their staff's not buying into it. And there's, there's somewhere a disconnect because the message isn't getting across properly so I, I a lot of the reading I do with with coaches and teams I'm just trying to you know steal ideas like everyone else I mean there's, there's not a lot of I don't know how many innovative guys in the profession are here you know there's I don't know if there's any Dean Smiths out there like there used to be but I, I think we all just you know steal ideas and steal concepts and you know kind of apply it to your personality as a coach and to your team and to the level you're at and you know just try to get better so I mean that's that's constantly, I guess, my mindset of just, you know, for a guy to your point earlier, yeah, I've been doing this a long time, but I know I don't have all the answers. And I think I can keep, you know, improving and learning and, you know, watching the NBA games on TV, you know, and every, every time Jeff Van Gundy or UB Brown doing a game, I'm learning something, you know, I mean, and not necessarily learning, but just making it, wow, that's a, you know, that's a it's great, interesting. Like, it's this fun. Is, that's yeah, right. yeah. It's entertaining almost to learn what other people are doing, even if you're not going to implement it in your own thoughts or your program, just to know that was out there. Maybe it does creep back in five years later when you have a construct. You want to, it's almost like fear of missing out that theory, the FOMO theory. I have that when I'm reading, I would just want to read or watch this documentary because I have a fear of missing out. If I don't know that information, you know, it might help me down the line. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, definitely, definitely. I do want to jump to coach speak, and I, I did take, we'll just do one, and I, I took this from actually from an article that you tweeted, and it, it goes hand in hand with something we've talked about today a good bit, and this is about the Trailblazers video guide, uh, Jonathan Yim. I'm not sure if everybody's familiar with this story, but it is on The Athletic. He, he was in a car accident recently, and uh, they wrote an article about the impact he kind of has had on their guys, and so this is Terry Stotts, and 
he says he's such an integral part of the staff, but he's connected to everybody. He's connected to the players, connected to the staff, and he gives a lot of himself to people. And obviously everybody appreciates the job he does, but I think everybody appreciates the type of person he is above all. And Bruce, my question is, you know, you've worked with a bunch of different guys, a bunch of different players, a bunch of different coaches. You know, you've recruited so many different players, parents, et cetera. You know, in your experience, what's what's been the best way to create genuine connections with players, coaches, and, and parents over the years? And, and how have you improved at that? Yeah. You know, I, I, I think it's being yourself, you know, being yourself and being honest. And, you know, they all, you may not always be given the message they want to hear, but I, I think if you're honest and consistent in your message and um, just communicating and, you know, that, yeah, that article really struck me like, wow, like, I mean, I don't know that guy from a hole in the wall, but I was really impressed with just, you know, talk about being humble and doing anything to help the team and knowing your role and, you know, being being good in your role, whatever it is at that moment. That really struck me like, wow, I, I can do a much better job than what I think I do a good job with all that stuff. But, boy, I, I, I was really impressed with that. But I, I, I think, you know, one of the best, and I know, I know, in a, you know, just listen to your podcast, you know, yes, you some guys best piece of advice. And I, I know when I was right as I was taking the cane job, I, I, I remember seeing him at a clinic I was speaking at and he was Kevin Bannon, who at the time was a rider who I'd worked for, you know, at Trenton state and became a Rutgers coach. And, and you know, like, give me something. I'm going to be a head coach in a week. You know, I know I'm getting this job. Like what, what, what do you recommend? Give me something, a piece of advice. And I remember he told me, and again, I was, and I saw him do it for two years. I worked with him, but he, and, and he improved upon it. He said, you know, meet with each kid every week where they have to come into your office. It's going to take a lot of time, but just have sit downs with them. So they're not just seeing you on the court, you know, when you're pissed at them or you're coaching them hard, just get, get away from the court. And I, I did that, and that was one of the best things I did as a head coach. Of every week, I had meetings where they had it literally sign up for a meeting with me and come to my office, and we would just, you know, we'd go over their academics, their progress reports. I'd get back, and well, all right, we talk basketball, but just hey, what's going on with your life? All right, kids, a senior, what what do you want to do in three months when you graduate? It, it just, <clears throat> I think, it allowed me to coach them harder and more aggressively because they knew at the end of the day I was there for them. And I've, I've tried to maintain that as an assistant. Like at FU, like Greg has it where each of uh, each of the coaches and our apps got Darius, we each have three or four players. Like we, we call it like a pod system. We have three or four players that we're responsible for everything, you know, academics, class checks, getting them in the gym, watching video, just talking to them and meeting with them. Nowadays, again, it's more, sometimes it's more, you know, texting them or talking to them on the phone, but just that one-on-one meeting and talking and, you know, the good times, the bad times when they're playing well, when they're not playing, um, you know, when they're hurt, when they screwing up in school, you know, whatever the case may be. And I, I just think, you know, kind of that just honest, I mean, it's all the cliche stuff, but kind of honest and open communication. Um, I, I think, boy, that goes a long way, you know, because I think it, I think it lets you coach them in a different way, and I think they see you in a different way as a coach. Because you know, every every kid you're recruiting, you're telling, oh, we're we're going to be there for you, and we're going to help you, and we're going to this, and we're going to that, and you know, a lot of coaches, as soon as the NOI comes through the fax machine, you know, it, 
their their relationship changes because you already got the kid. You got the kid, and, yeah, exactly. And, exactly. Yeah, you know. So I, I I've always kind of kept that in mind, and I think that that was a, a huge part of I think that has helped me is I kind of transitioned back to the D one level from being a D three head coach because you know there was there was no reason kids had to stay in play. You know they weren't on scholarship, so I I had to constantly just make sure they were mentally in a good place about playing about basketball about how this fit into their life without a scholarship and without you know getting 15 pair of shoes and three warm-ups and you know a nice you know pre-game meal and post-game meal you know like this was like hey you want to play and and there there's not going to be a lot of perks here except you're going to have a college career but it, it enabled me just that one-on-one to just kind of constantly have the pulse of guys on my team um, which I think, you know, has helped being an assistant coach again, you know, where, um, he has got a con, like I said, you know, if you're, if you're not telling them the message you want, someone else is telling them a message that might not be a good message. So it's just kind of a constant reinforcement of, you know, what, what are you saying to these guys and what's the relationship? And it, you know, it takes time. It takes, it takes a lot of time, but it, I think is it, I think it makes you a better coach. Um, cause then I think it enables you to be honest with them on the court when, you know, a lot of kids, you know, they hear something they don't want to hear and, and the, the natural inclination to get defensive and, you know, you know, it's not, it's not what they want, um, to always hear, but I think somewhere in their mind, they know, you know, all right, coach is there for me. He's, he's, he's got my back. He's looking out for me. And, uh, you know, I think it just, it takes a lot of time and effort and work, but it definitely, you know, I, I think that's one of the things I enjoy. And that's where, again, I try to steal ideas from other people, just how to, how to go about that, and, you know, where you're still being true to yourself and being, you know, who you are. Because I think if you're not, you can see right through that. I mean, you can't, you know, you can't fool kids, obviously. Uh, nowadays, they're, they're pretty, kids are pretty street smart and pretty savvy. So, uh, you know, if you're BSing them, they're, they're going to see right through it. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. It's it's about not being fake and, you know, you can't put up an act or be fake for too long because everyone sniffs it out and then what what do you have left? You have nothing. So, I think that's that's really the message. I think that's what makes uh really good recruiters but really good coaches and people. Like that's the value and that's what we kind of you know, took a lot away from the people we've worked with and Dump and, you know, others like that, but I'm talking about something that's totally not fake now. It's the city review. And you're as real as a Jersey guy as it gets. You are the realest. So we're going to take it to Hackensack. And you're going to take us to the best spots. You're going to give us a city review, three restaurants, you know, two, two night spots, bars, and an activity. Yep. Yeah, you know, uh, our, our campus is, is unique. We have a river that goes through it. So half is on Teaneck. And pro, or three quarters of the campus is Teaneck. Or our where the gym is is in Hackensack. So we we have a couple spots on the Hackensack side. Uh, it's a really good breakfast spot that we take recruits to for breakfast called Fairmount Eats. I mean, huge portions. Really, they're open at like ten o'clock at night, so you can eat there at any time. But a really good breakfast spot. Uh, I was just there last week with a with a recruit, and uh, you know the amount of food that they serve and. Uh, the quality is, is outstanding. Uh, there's a very good pizza slash Italian spot that we, we go to. It's called Presto's. That's where we have a lot of our pregame meals. 
you know, good sandwiches, good good Italian food. Now, excellent I want to know pizza. what Bruce, what Bruce Hammer, what are you ordering? What's your go-to order at an Italian spot? Are you like spaghetti and meatball, very classic? Are you more of like a Pete Lapis? Like I need a penne vodka, but I want the sauce a little bit on the side because I'm a little too particular. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not. As, I'm not as needy as Pete is, or as picky as Pete is. You know, he he uh, he 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 swore with uh, you know with what he what he can uh, what he orders and how it. Now, I'm, I'm a big seafood guy, so I I'm uh, if if there's something with pasta and seafood, uh, that's usually usually my my call, my go to. Um, but I, yeah, I'm I'm not, yeah I I like Italian food. I like pasta, but I'm definitely. A, you know, if, if there's a combination, uh, you know, fruit of the mar or something like that, I'm I'm all in for that. What's the next spot we're going to? Yeah, uh, the next spot there's two, and again, I'll go one town over on you, so I'll change it a little bit. And Maywood is the next town from Hackensack, and and, and there's two really good spots. One is just called Maywood uh, Fish Market. It, it's a little literally hole in the wall, eight tables, you walk in, you, you know, if, you, if you're, you know, the Greek freak, could, he could touch both sides of the, of the building being in, in there. It's so thin, but a really good, again, all fresh seafood, good lunch spot that we go to, not during the season because it takes a while. We were actually going to go there today and we end up having a change of plans. We were thinking today to go there is the, the assistant coaches on the staff, but, uh, that's a good spot. And there's another place just called Maywood market, which is kind of a, a little bit of an upscale market. They, they have great like sandwiches and, you know, make your own salads and that type of, you can get hot entrees to go a real, really good spot. So we're, we're really fortunate where we are within a 10 minute radius. There's a million, I mean, right down the road, there's a PF Chang's, there's a cheesecake factory, um, you know, Tommy Bahama, uh, Bahama Breeze, you know, a million, we, 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 we don't lack for food places with, within, again, probably a 10 minute, uh, radius of the campus. So we're, we're pretty good fortunate in that way. That's awesome. What about an activity we can all join in together with you? You know what, in, in, in our area, I think the thing that most people do is we're so, and again, I'll, I'll make if there's any 17 year old six ten kids listen. I'll make the recruiting pitch. We're so close to New York, you know. We're 15 20 minutes from New York, so uh, and I, I live in the city, so I'm fortunate. But you know, everything we're we're just so close to New York, so I, I think that's still a, a huge draw for people. Just I mean, our campus is 10 minutes from the GW Bridge, but within our area, there's a lot. There, there's the biggest shopping mall in New Jersey is five minutes from our campus, uh, Garden State Plaza, which is an enormous shopping mall. Uh, there's an outlet down the road. So there's a lot of good shopping opportunities. There's good, you know, good county courses, golf courses. Uh, but yeah, I think the main draw is our proximity to New York. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. I'm supposed we're supposed to ask you about one specific thing though when it comes to city review. We were we were given inside info to ask you about PJ Carlissimo's Italian spot that you guys would go you'd have like you'd work a full day in the office and then go to he had a apparently a hole in the wall spot that you guys would go to at like 11 p.m. We're supposed to ask you about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was in Jersey. I was over in Orange about 10 minutes from campus. It's called Bella Italia. It's in in Orange, New Jersey. It's still open and it's a it's a you know, it's a, it's a great spot. The guy, you know, PJ befriended the guy, the, the owner, he was the chef and, 
you know, we, we would go over there after games, you know, we'd play at the Meadowlands, go back to school with the team. And then, you know, we end up walking in there 1130 at night and many, a many a late night of, you know, and it, it was good. Just not, it wasn't the, you know, sit there and go through every possession of the game. It was, you know, whoever on the staff would go and the athletic director would go with us. And we, it was at the end of the day, we'd walk in there and be no one there, but you know, one waiter and a guy behind the bar and the owner and he cook whatever we want. And, you know, you'd stay up, you know, we, you know, you'd walk out of there at 1230, one o'clock. And, you know, uh, after a while I stopped going. Cause again, it was just, you know, <laughs> yeah, you had to get up and get on a plane. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. You got to either, and you're going to put 50 pounds on eating pasta every night at 11 p.m. Yeah, and then that, just going to sleep right after. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't the healthiest, but uh, it was yeah, it was a good spot. No, PJ was definitely a late night uh late night dinner guy. I know, you know, Rod Baker and I ended up with him this year in Minnesota. He had a party. He said, "Hey, come on over. We we met at some spot and all of a sudden it's 12:30 at night and there's five of us sitting there. Rod and I were kind of like, "Well, this is 20 years ago, we were doing this, <laughs> but you know, what, what's going on. But now nah, those were, those were fun times. It's funny if Rod acted like that was, you know, something he wasn't super happy about. Cause he loved telling when I worked for him in the D league, he loved getting dinner late at night and just tell, and like holding court and like telling stories. He, he didn't keep you super late. He didn't, he wants to stay up so late, but he'd, he'd get himself like a little glass of whiskey, you know, like two fingers of whiskey and he'd sit there and he'd tell stories for an hour, two hours before you were allowed yep. to leave for sure. Yep. No. Yeah. Definitely. No. Those are those are good times. Good uh, times. Let's let's do ten touches. Uh, rapid fire question and answer. I got the first five. Uh, Bruce, who's the funniest person you've ever uh, worked with or ever coached? Uh, worked with, and again, he, he unfortunately passed away a few years ago. Kenny Williamson, who everyone called him the Eggman. He he was an assistant at Iona College back in the day with Jim Balvano, and he was down at uh, Florida State with Pat Kennedy. He he was. I mean, it was a great guy, like a real New York legend. But I remember the first time meeting him in a Final Four. Actually, the first Final Four I ever went to in Dallas, by the pool, guys were just holding court. And it was, you know, groups of coaches. And I, I can vividly remember a group, like, you know, 20 yards away. And every 15 seconds, guys just rolling with laughter. And it was him telling stories. And I, I remember meeting him and didn't really know him that well. And then, you know, worked with him on Coach Blaney's staff at Seton Hall. And, I mean, just a, a you know, hilarious guy. Just stories beyond stories. And, and, you know, some guys have stories and they don't tell them well. He had the stories and he told them very well and was just a, a terrific guy to be around. Uh, what's your worst travel experience in basketball? You were talking. You were talking about how travel used to be a little easier. Did you have any particular trips that were were terrible? No, not really. Um, to be truthful, I, I do remember. I, I have a, a, an FDU story. I know it's rapid fire, so I'm trying not to be long. But you know, I do remember being up at Syracuse once scouting, and we we were. I was at Syracuse. Our team was playing the next day at Purdue, so I had a really early morning flight to Indianapolis and a car service to take me to Purdue. And I, I'm in the hotel, you know, before I had the TV on before I go to Syracuse. And, I'm, ah, you know, lake, lake effect snow, probably be 20 inches tonight. So I'm like, oh, my God, you know, I'm, I'm panicking. Like, what am I going to do? And I remember asking the guy in the lobby, like, what time do I need to leave to the airport? Like, I'm really concerned with the snow. He goes, nah, it'll, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Like, 
they're saying 20 inches. You go, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. And the next one, I don't know, I was seven o'clock cab to the airport. And on the highway, literally, it was like the roads here in the summer. Uh, you know, like, you know, the, the snow piles on the side of the roads were 30 feet high. But, uh, you know, so that one, I, I, I always remember that with snow. Um, a couple of years ago, we were out at Cincinnati money game playing that Saturday afternoon. We get smoked by one of, you know, Mick Cronin's really good teams. We, I want to say we lost by like 50. All right. We have a seven o'clock flight. We're heading back to the airport. We're in time. All of a sudden, you know, we get the, the, the alert on the phone flights delayed. There's a, you know, a weather issue back in Jersey All right, it gets pushed back. Now it's eight o'clock. Now it's nine o'clock. Now flight canceled. So we're, you know, we're in, Cincinnati airport like what are our options with a whatever travel party of 20 and you know there there were you know 150 other people with the same so after countless conversations they eventually got us on a bus at probably midnight to Louisville and so we drive an hour and a half two hours to Louisville we get in at 1 1 30 in the morning you know 4 30 wake up for like a 6 a.m flight back to newark now we get back to newark fine no problem and you know me trying to be the hard-working guy right that that day is a hoop group tip-off tournament up at call i'm gonna go home <laughs> shower i'll be good to go and by about the third game i was oh man what am i doing like this this is not going well but uh you know i've been fortunate for all the years with all the trips uh, if those are the only two that really stand out to me, I guess I'm doing okay. No, not not bad at all. What uh, what are you currently reading? What's on What's on your reading list right now? Uh, you know what? I got about 20 things on my iPad on my Kindle. That I, I I've gotten worse as I've gotten older in terms. Of, and again, with technology, I used to be you know a book guy in my hand, and I would just plow through it. Now with the technology, I do have everything on my iPad, but I I kind of skip all over the place. I, I probably literally have 20 books that I'm somewhat involved or you know kevin eastman's book uh, michael lombardi the football book um oh boy i got a, i got a lot of them yeah you know just again most of them are about coaching and their teams uh, you know uh you know management uh, though you know kind of the typical things i think a lot of coaches read but yeah i i have a lot i just i'm i'm trying to just finding time during the day or on the weekends just to put put time aside to read a little, you know, in the off season, do a better job with that. What's the uh, best game you've ever been a part of? Um, you know, I got, it's gotta be the national championship game. I mean, just the, the magnitude of it, obviously it's, you know, relatively speaking, a pretty famous name with the controversial call, but to, you know, to, I mean, to be in a national championship game, I, I think big picture, that that's probably got to be it. Just, I mean, you know, you, you look back on your career. So like, well, like really you're like you said, 20, whatever, 26, 27. And I'm sitting on the bench in a national championship. Like it, it doesn't, you know, doesn't get much better than that. Uh, you know, every, every year, the final four, I mean, obviously it, it brings back, except for the outcome of the game, phenomenal memory. So I, I, I definitely, you know, I'd be foolish not to go with that one. Uh, you've done just probably more scouts than you care to count. Who Who is the toughest player that you've ever had to scout against? Like, who's the one guy where you watch and you're like, this is, we need some kind of game plan or we're going to get shot Ooh. out of the gym or something yeah. like that. Yeah, that's a great question. 
There's a lot because again, I go back to Big East. I mean, the bit, yeah, back, the eighties and nineties and the nineties, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Allen Iverson, probably Iverson and Derek Coleman. I mean, I don't know if people appreciate how good Derek, how good a college player Derek Coleman was. Um, you know, Allen Iverson was just at another level. You know, his athleticism and just his, his ability to just dominate a game at his side. I mean, you get, you, you know, you're out in the court in warm-ups. You're like, man, this guy's small. And then he 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 would make plays that you just like wow like just the athletic ability that he had and how hard and competitive he played were were kind of just jumped off the page at you. What would you do if you weren't a coach? What would be the other profession? Yeah, you know, I, I my my plan like when I was nineteen, I thought I, I'm going to be a high school coach and teach be you know my, my degree was in phys ed and phys ed and health and you know my master's was in counseling to be a guidance counselor you know i kind of all right if, if if this coaching thing doesn't work i gotta have have a fallback plan but yeah it would have been would have been a teacher and a coach i mean i i knew at a young age i wanted to do that i was fortunate i had really good people i looked up to when i was a kid that were high school coaches and you know people in town that kind of mentored me and just always always had a good you know, just a good image of what a high school coach and teacher was. That definitely would have been that. What would you change about college basketball? Um, you know, I would definitely change, go back to the old recruiting periods. I, I think that, you know, I, I'll be interested to see what happens with that. You know, I think the one, one evaluation in the spring is difficult. You know, I hope it, it I hope, I hope it works. I, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to so far. Um, uh, I would definitely, I think, you know, I think outworking people and working hard and recruiting, mm-hmm. which it used to be, I, I think now they've taken that away. You know, I it's think really they, hard, they really want, hard to get that. Yeah. Edge. That's an, that's <laughs> yeah, like a great I, point. Like nobody's really talked about that, but that is an awesome point. Like if you're a great evaluator, it's much harder for you to have an edge now. Yeah. There's no, you know, there's no hidden kids. There's no, you can't outwork someone, you know, I mean, you know, I remember when they did away with the scouting, the live scouting, it was, it was for financial reasons. And they, I remember we said, you know, I was at Seton Hall and I, I remember R&D saying they want, and he used the example, they want FDU to be the same as Duke and Notre Dame and Michigan. And I think it's kind of the same way we're recruiting. All right, everyone gets the same amount of days in the same places instead of just, you know what, develop the relationship with the high school coach. And that way I think you make the high school process more important because you're that's when you're seeing kids and you're you're not making as many mistakes as you know when the kids and they're knowing you um so i i think from a recruiting standpoint that i mean basketball wise i kind of uh you know again i you know the two years i worked in the wnba kind of showed me you know in terms of coaching the pro game you know and again the wnba the nba have some differences but ultimately like you know, I, I like the quarters. I, I, I'm a proponent of advancing the ball in the last two minutes. You know, I go back. I go back. I wish that rule was in effect against Michigan in the national championship. We we might have had a different different result if we had a side out with four seconds instead of trying to throw the ball length of the court. But I, you know, I, that's why I love it. you watch NBA games. The game's never over. You know, there's always you got to use your timeouts better and ma- I think manage the game better. Um, so I, 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 I'm a proponent of the NBA rules. I, 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 I think, you know, like that's the highest level of basketball. Why aren't we, I get college kids aren't as good, but 
if it's good enough for them with the rules, why aren't we doing it? Um, I know there's a million reasons and the television and so forth, but I, I don't know. I, I, I think there's a lot of good things that, that the college game could take from, you know, I think they're going to change the three point line. It sounds like, but you know, I just think the more the management of the game, I, I think there, there are a lot of things that we could benefit from. Do you have a pregame routine? Any superstitions? Um, not really superstitions. No, I, I've tried to stay away from that. I used to, I guess when I was at Kane, I had a lot, of, you know, back again, a lot of the NCAA watches and NIT that I used to wear those all the time. And if we won, I would stay with the same watch. If we lost, I would change it. Um, I've gotten away from that. You know, what I, what I do with, with our home games, sometimes in the afternoon after pregame meal, I'll, I'll just go to one of the local malls, I said, and just kind of walk around for a half hour and go find a Starbucks. I'm not a tea or a coffee guy, but I'll, I'll get like, I'm a black tea lemonade guy and I'll, I'll get that for after the game and put it in the fridge and have it for the car ride home. You know, like every coach, your voice gets shot during the year and it's kind of a good drink on the way home to kind of, you know, loosen up your throat a little bit and get the raspiness out. So I, I do that just to get out of the office for an hour and kind of collect your thoughts and walk around a little bit and, you know, go window shop and, uh, just, just get away from things for a little bit. So I, I do that, you know, on the road, again, I'll, you know, some of our road game games, you're, you're in some remote location, so you can't do it. But if, if we're in a place that's near a mall or something, I'll do that or just go walk around the, the town or the street just to get out of the hotel and get some fresh air and kind of, again, just collect your thoughts a little bit. Uh, so I, I definitely like, I, I've, as I've gotten older, I've realized, you know what, they're, they're not giving out awards for how long you're in the office. And, you know, so I've, I've, I try to be more just productive and efficient and not be one of those guys that has to be in the office all the time and think that they're, they're going to reward you for that. And that's going to make the difference winning and lose. I mean, I'll, I'll obviously get my work done, but you know what, the day of the game, uh, the work, the work is done. Like if I'm still watching tape a half hour before, then, then I haven't done a good job in my preparation. So I just try to get away and kind of uh, get, you know, just get, get some quiet time and just relax a little bit that, in that way. Of course. And now that I'm out of coaching, you know, I have a little pregame routine and I can do this because I'm out of coaching. I head to Bovada. I throw a couple dollars on the NBA playoffs and then I eat two saltine crackers and I run about a quarter of a mile until I'm out of breath because that's how out of shape I am. I come back and I lose a lot of money. So maybe I'll have to change my pregame routine. But how about this? Three best basketball related writers or Twitter followers? Uh, well, that's a good one. Uh, you know, that it, it would be tough for me to limit the three. I, I love, and again, I worked with him one year, Zach, Zach Bovere. I really like some of the stuff that Zach puts up there. Um, yeah, I think he's just a really good, for a young guy, just a really good thinker. Uh, I've really gotten into, and again, a little bit from listening to your podcast with him, Jordan Sprover stuff, I think is great. Uh, you got Chris Oliver from, from Canada. Yeah, I really like Buzz Williams stuff you know, from, from Texas A&M now, just, you know, stuff. He, he's just another guy, like just kind of an innovative thinking guy. Um, Kevin Eastman stuff is terrific. I mean, I'm, I'm, I knew him when I first started, I met him when I first started coaching and just, he just such a guy that makes you think about your team and about your style of coaching. So I, I really enjoy his stuff. Uh, I mean, I, I got a lot of guys that I like and it, that's just, again, where, what I really use Twitter for is just generate my thought from other people's thoughts. Um, 
Yeah, and I'm going to finish with this question on our 10 touches. Two future podcast guests for us. Yeah, you know, I, I, and again, you may have had him on. I don't know if you've had Zach on or not. I, I think he's we really have. good. Friend of the podcast. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah we'll yeah, have him on again, yeah. though. That's a good one. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm a big fan of Zach. And I again, I, I don't know the guy. I, I think Chris Oliver is a really intriguing guy. Just, you know. Is he the ba- He's basketball basketball immersion on Twitter, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, he's yeah, good. He's, he's good. He, yeah, he puts up really good stuff, and he he just has again, I think, a really interesting take on the game and his his ability to, you know, kind of explain, you know, with with his, you know, he'll put. I'm sure you guys have seen. You know, he'll put clips up and with his explanations and his terminology and and just again, he just makes me think as a coach of all right. I'm I'm seeing the same thing he's seen. How is he explaining it? How is he going through it as opposed to, you know, what I see? So, uh, yeah, I think he'd be really an interesting guy to talk to of just his approach to, you know, just, again, coaching and video, use of video and how he does it with his team. Uh, yeah, he, he really jumps out to me as a, as a guy that was, is probably a really interesting guy to talk to. All right. Last segment, uh, parting shot. Same two questions to every guest. I got the first one. Um, you gave us the advice from Coach Bannon earlier, but – just in terms of your whole coaching career, what's the best advice you think you've ever been given? I, I think, again, just be yourself and be consistent. You know, and again, I don't know if it's advice that, that anyone gave me um, per se, but I just think for the people I've, I just, as I said before, I've worked for with and for so many good people that, you know, I, I think you, you just in this profession really just have to be true to yourself and be who you are and, and be consistent uh, be loyal to the, to the kids and, and, you know, just be, be, be where you are in the moment too. Like I said, I was never, and it probably hurt me, but I was never one of those guys looking for the next job. I, I think you, you can really see those people. They jump out in this profession as well. That, you know, they're, they're the same guys at the final four, you know, you're talking to and they're looking over your shoulder to see who the next guy they can talk to. Who's, who's, you know, more important than you are and bigger at a bigger school. And, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I, uh, that, that's why when we, I, I when think, we met you in the restaurant, Bruce, you had a great, you great vibe. You were up against the wall. So our backs had to be the rest of the restaurant. So if we were talking to you, we had to actually be talking to you. We couldn't be looking around to see if Chris Beard was walking in and maybe we'd go <laughs> talk to the logo on his shirt instead of you and Pete Lapis, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I wish I was that smart to think it through that way, but no, exactly. I just, I just think those guys really jump out. And I, I'm somewhere in my mind, you know, when, when you're about that, you know, you, ultimately the most important people are the kids you're coaching. And I think they, they know that and they see that. So I, 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 that to me is, you know, like just being in the moment, being where you are, doing as good a job as you can do where you're at. And you know what? Success will find you and the next job will find you. And, you know, th- those are the moments that the kids are going to know. And, you know, 20 years from now, when you're done coaching, they're going to know that you, you were there for them and, true to them and loyal to them face to face with your 24 year old self. What are you telling that person? Uh, probably take more risks in the profession and, 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 you know, be, uh, be more aggressive and, and be, be, you know, as much as I'm saying, be in the moment, you know, I probably didn't, um, I, I, I didn't self promote myself as much as I probably could have at a younger age when, 
you know, when, when I was at Seton home, we were really good and we, we were hot. I, I, but that being said, I had a great job. You know, I, I was, I, I grew up five minutes from Seton Hall. We were a top 10 program in the country and I was doing all the basketball stuff. So it was really difficult for me to look and say, you know, I, I should go to a lower level. And, and again, I had some opportunities. I just didn't take them to get on the road recruiting and, and kind of, you know, like you said, I w- I've always been thought of, yeah, that's the basketball guy. And again, that's a great thing. Don't get me wrong. I, 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 I have no regrets that that's how people perceive me. But I, I know it probably hurt me for some jobs where I, I didn't get as much recruiting experience at the D1 level as I, I should have. So, that you know, I, I would say that would probably, you know, you go back and tell yourself when you're 24, 25 with a crystal ball, that, that would probably be the biggest thing from a coaching standpoint. But I say that with no, no regrets whatsoever, trust me. I, I was really fortunate to be where I was at that age. And, you know, for, for like, you know, like we've talked about, a, a top 10 program um, doing basketball stuff, which is ultimately that's why I became, I became a coach yeah. to be in the gym. And, and you know, yeah, that's what you want to do. And, yeah. So I, I was quite, quite fortunate in that regard. Well, Bruce, we uh, appreciate the time on, especially it's, it's Monday night, you know, and I, I'm sure, you know, I don't know if Hoop Group has an event tonight, but you can probably go to it if you want, you know, but so, but <laughs> I, I appreciate it, man. And like I said, we, we did have to gloss over you coaching tennis at Caldwell and, and the WNBA stuff. And I, I want to talk about that because I think it's so great, but we'll have to do it in two parts and, and have you back on. He is at Coach Bruce Ham on Twitter. Like I said, great follow in terms of, you know, stuff out there, you know, NFL stuff, college football stuff, basketball, NBA, just really good articles that he's been reading and, and a couple thoughts on them. But, Bruce, we appreciate your time tonight, and uh, we will talk soon. All right, man? Yeah, definitely. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot for having me on. And, uh, again, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the work you guys do, so we'll definitely talk soon.